almost all Christians believe that God is alive and active and able to move in a dramatic way, even a miraculous way, should he choose to do so in this world. Now, when we talk about miracles, what are miracles? Um, I'm not talking about, you know, Thursday morning, you were running late to work, you had to have your latte, and there was no one in line at Starbucks, and you slid right in there, you got your latte, and you made it to work on time, and you're like, it's a miracle. Thank you, Jesus. That actually might have been a miracle for you. But we could maybe explain that one, right? Or your miracle sunset that you saw. Uh, Not talking about that. As uh, some smart theologians and people have defined it. Here's a good definition for a miracle, a divine action that transcends the ordinary course of nature and so generates awe. Something that God steps in and does something a little different than normally happens. And we did a little survey last week at all three services, and it was amazing to see how many of you said, I've had a moment in my life where something happened out of the ordinary, and it was a God moment, and I know that I know that I know that that was God. And as you look at um, those who claim faith, then the vast majority believe that God is active and he's moving. However, here's the interesting thing. Many Christians live much of their life like functional deists. What does that mean, functional deists? Well, a deist was someone who believed that God sort of created it, wound up the universe, set natural laws in motion, and then just sort of stepped back and has very little to do with his creation. And I've heard this term, and I thought, you know what, I think many people live like functional deists. And what that means is, in their head, they believe that God moves, and God's alive and active, but actually, in the way that their life is lived out, they have very little expectation that he will actually do something outside of the norm, that he will move in a situation. Let me ask you a probing question. Why is it that you don't have any expectation that leads you to pray anymore in your life? Some of you can identify with that because younger years, you, you, you cried out to God, you prayed, you sought him, and then something happened. And you right, recognize like, okay, I mean, there's an old saying, there's no atheists in foxholes, right? So you get in a crisis, you, you'll throw a prayer up, but it's not a, you're not, there's nothing in your day in, day out life that's expecting God to be active and moving regularly. See, I think we start, most of us start out our Christian lives with expectancy, but then something happens along the way. And for many, it's like there's an experience of a few times where you pray and there's an intense disappointment in life. And I think we have a natural reflex to insulate ourselves against that kind of pain. So we lose our expectancy. We pray out of obligation, but not actually thinking that anything's going to happen. We lose our childlike faith. I still remember when my son Samuel, um, it was July, and he was praying for snow. And Elizabeth's like, well, it's kind of, my wife's like, it's, it's kind of July. And he's like, it could snow. And we're like, okay, I could. But there's this like childlike expectancy, right? I love it when kids pray. I watched my, uh, my daughter pray just so faithfully for her, her great-grandmother and then have her great-grandmother accept Jesus just weeks before she died. And it was such a testament to her, her perseverance and her faith. Then I had another example. Last fall, um, we had a you know, situation where uh, my son needed a, a surgery, a spinal uh, surgery. And it was, 
And it was hard, and we were praying, and, and he really felt like um, God was going to step in and move dramatically in that and, and heal him. And it's like, wow, you want to encourage that faith in your kids? And my daughter was like, she was praying hard, and she's a prayer warrior, and she was convinced that God was going to move dramatically. And it's hard because you, you want to encourage that, but also you got to make some hard calls as a parent. We had a limited time window. And I still remember uh, he, he ended up having surgery. He's doing great. Um, but I remember uh, we prayed and prayed, and we had other people praying. And, and I remember, like, calling her. We, we had to go to Denver, and she stayed here with grandparents. And we called her uh, well, right after he went into surgery. And I remember her voice, like, she said, he, he got the surgery? And it broke my heart because I recognized, like, oh, yeah, this is so hard. And so I think it's something, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you can identify with. Because sometimes God steps in and you see him move powerfully. And other times it's like, I don't know. I don't know why God didn't answer in the way that I wanted. And so I think for many, as an insulative kind of thing, they pray. Many of you maybe pray, but you don't actually have any expectation that God is actually going to move in the situation. And here's the problem with that. As I read through Scripture, there seems to be a very clear connection between prayer and prayer with expectancy and prayer with faith and seeing God actually move. It's hard to read through the New Testament and miss that. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn on over? We're going to go quickly through Acts chapter 3. We're going to go all the way down a little bit through Acts chapter 4, and then we're going to come back and we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about this. Last week we saw in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes. Peter gets up, preaches this dramatic sermon. Um, 3,000 people get saved. We see that you know the Holy Spirit comes and they hear different languages, different tongues being spoken, all these different nations. And, and the deeper thing going on there is, is a reclaiming. God's going after the nations that have walked away from him. And the gospel is going to the ends of the earth. So that's powerful. The early church is launching. And so this is where we're at in Acts chapter 3, verse 1. And here's what it says. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple. It's the temple is the center of first century Judaism. And it's at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. They gather and pray together. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful. Now, he's given us lots of details because he's, he's got eyewitness accounts. He's given us lots of details here. And people in the first century would know exactly where this is. Because the temple that, that Herod had constructed and, and remodeled was one of the wonders of the ancient world, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And they would go, I know exactly where that is. Oh, it is beautiful. That's amazing. And so they go here, and it says, um, there was a man lame from birth. He, they were carrying him there. And it says, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. So the Jewish people had a great ethic of helping those in need and being generous. And so it was a, you know, if you had no other way to support yourself, they had no, you know, like social structure system to support them. And so it was people's generosity and people would give and he could support himself this way. But I think long ago he'd given up any hope of anything other than that being the future of his life. And it says, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. And Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. I think he's just downcast. You know, he sees these people, and please, please give me something, a little something. And the man looks up, and now he's got some expectation. 
because you don't, I mean, this is still true today. You don't make eye contact with someone who's, you know, asking or, or begging for money or, or anything unless you're planning to do something, right? Some of you, you pull up at a stoplight and you're like, don't look, don't look, don't look. None of you, just me. Okay. <laughs> Other times I'm like, I feel God moving. And I'm like, some of you are much more. Anyway, we'll move on. But the point is, the man gave them his attention, expecting something from them. And then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Isn't that awesome? Now, I want to do something real quick. How many of you went to VBS growing up or Sunday school growing up? Anybody? Okay. You may know this song, but I bet most, we've done a show of hands, most of you don't. So I'm going to teach you this because this will help you remember this little scripture. Everybody clap like this, two claps. Okay? And then once we get to the course, we're going to do three things. When I say rise up and walk, you're going to rise up and walk. Okay? And then you're going to go walking and leaping and praising God. Everybody do that. You got it. Okay. We're going to do it real quick. It'll help you remember this little passage of scripture. And uh, it'll give you some exercise, get the blood pumping. So here we go. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And you can sing along if you know it. And he went walking and leaping and praising God. Walking and leaping and praising God. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Woo! Give yourselves a hand. You did good. And so here's what happens. I mean, imagine this moment in this guy's life as, as he hears this. And, and Peter, like, sticks out his hand and says, rise up and walk. What's the guy thinking? Like, I haven't ever been able to walk. How do I walk? But yet something in his heart rises up, and he says, I'm going to do this. And, and he reaches out. And Peter helps him to his feet. And somewhere in this process of him being helped to his feet, God dramatically heals him. And he's walking and he's leaping and he's dramatically healed. And this is so, so cool and powerful. Taking him by the hand, he helped him up. Instantly, the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God, which was somewhat unusual during this time of prayer. And it says, when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Yeah, because why? You don't see this kind of stuff every day, do you? <laughs> this was really, really cool, just like it would be now, right? So while the, the man held on to Peter and John, these are guys like his heroes right now, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. And when Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? <laughs> Which I think the people are going, uh, the walking, the leaping, you know? Why do you stare at us if by our own power and godliness we have made this man walk? And then he brings it, ties it back to the faith that they have had since they were they were children. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, not some left field thing, not some new religion. The God of our fathers has glorified his servant, Jesus. You, now remember Peter, this is Peter who was scared, who denied Jesus three times, just weeks before this, 
um, when confronted because he was scared for his own life. Now he's bold. Look at this. After he's been filled with the Holy Spirit, it says this. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. And we are witnesses of this. We saw it with our very own eyes. It changed everything for us. And we can't be silent. And then he goes on with the sermon. He says this, By faith in the name Jesus, this man right here, whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name. And we hear Jesus' name. It's not just a tag on to the prayer. The idea is the authority, the character, the power of Jesus It's Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. So his heart crying out to God, trusting enough to struggle and say, okay, I'm going to do that. And he cries out, and God miraculously heals him. It's the power of God, the power of Jesus that heals him. And then he goes on. He says this, now, fellow Israelites, I know you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. He goes back to like prophet Isaiah 700 years before this. He says, repent then and turn to God. Turn away, change your heart, your mind, turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Remember, Jesus had just ascended back to heaven after his first coming. And then Peter says this, heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. The time's coming. He's going to restore it all. Jesus came. He's going to come again. And he's going to restore, bring the restoration that God prophesied about. He says, for Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. There's, a pro- there's another prophet coming. He quotes their greatest prophet from their memory, Moses. And he says, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. Listen to him. Indeed, verse 24, beginning with Samuel, All the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. And see, as we saw last week, Peter's saying this time, he calls it the the last days, actually. This is the time the prophets foretold. When, When Jesus came and he did these mighty miracles, it was a sign that the kingdom of God had come near. Jesus said, the kingdom of God's upon you. It's breaking in. And yet we see, as you study the scriptures, that that Jesus comes at his first coming and he inaugurates the kingdom. He introduces the kingdom. He says it's going to grow like a mustard seed as more and more people come to faith in him. And one day when he returns, it will be consummated. It will come in fullness. But what we see now are little glimpses of heaven, a little glimpse of how it will be someday when all things will be made new, when we see his power making things new now. And he says those days are upon us. And the things you've been seeing is a sign of that. All the nations, it's a sign that God is going after the nations. All the nations of the earth will be blessed. He's bringing people into his family from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, and you get to be part of that. 
And what we said last week is if you want to experience more of the active, tangible presence of God in your life on a day-in, day-out basis, you need to get on mission for him. If your life is just all about building your little K kingdom, like all about that and about a little pleasure and comfort and binging a new, the new show and, and seeking first God's kingdom is not on your heart, and you're just not about praying or seeking God or sharing the gospel with people or loving others in your life, you're probably not going to experience much of the active presence of God in your life. You want to experience it? Begin to say, God, what are you doing? How can I partner with you in what you're doing? Open my eyes. Open my heart to what you're doing in this world. And I think you'll begin to see it more and more. So Peter goes on. He says, when God raised up his servant, He sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. And then the priests, the leaders show up. They see the commotion. Verse 1, the priests and and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They just wouldn't shut up about Jesus. Like, quiet, guys. They seized Peter and John and says, because it was, uh, they seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put him in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message, the message of Jesus, believed. And so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. So this dramatic, unexplainable event that was so clearly the power of God, coupled with the proclamation of the gospel, it resulted in all these people coming into the family of God. It was a powerful, powerful moment. And it says, The next day the rulers and elders and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there. And so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and begun to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Let's ignore the resurrection claim for now. How did you do this? Tell us. And it says, Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the second time in Acts we see that he's filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered for what's about, what he's about ready to speak with boldness. He said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this. Like if this was all just a random act of kindness and that's why we're, you're grilling us, then know this. Listen to the boldness. <laughs> You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. <laughs> Talking about these are the literal guys who condemned Jesus, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus, and this is an ancient prophecy, is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. And listen, and then he tells them. The heart of the message, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. This is the way to God. This is the way to relationship with God, not through all the works of the law, but through relationship with Jesus, through trust and faith in Jesus. That's the heart of the gospel. And Peter lays it down. He lays it down right there. And I love verse 13 because it says this. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. I love that verse. 
It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. You're like, you say that every week. Okay. I just, but it is. Think about it. They're just fishermen, like business guys, fishermen. They're from Galilee. They had funny, like, you know, up there it was the northern accents. They were like the country bumpkins. Like, they're from Galilee. They talk funny up there, you know? They thought of them as simpletons back in sophisticated Jerusalem. They're like, but, but how do we explain this? Because they had a relationship with Jesus. And what? And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They received power from the Holy Spirit to do the things that God was calling them to do in the world. It says, you read an account like this. Um, I hope your mind is like reeling. Because first thing, it's like, that is so amazing. And, and so, man, it would have been awesome to be there, right? Anybody else? would love to see that dude walk in leaping me. I would have. And so I think there's a couple ways we go when we read things like this. One of this is, well, um, that's amazing, but I, I don't know. Does God really even do anything like that anymore? I like, guess God's still moving. I know he's able to, but does he ever really show up and do stuff like that anymore? Or is that just a really special thing? Now, Acts, what you read in Acts, there's, this is a special moment as the gospel begins to go out. And there were all kinds of things happening that were unprecedented. There's no way around that as you go back and see as the gospel began to spread the good news around the Roman Empire. All this stuff happened, and it was amazing. But, to, but I think as we begin to pray and like pray like for God to move in our midst and pray for situations in our life, some of them feel dramatic, maybe you know somebody's sick in our life, a friend, a family member, I think it's so easy for us to go, ah, yeah, but I don't even know if God's like, is God doing that? But even more, I think for us, it's the thing of, but I've just prayed before. I've prayed for it, and I've not seen anything happen. And pretty easy, soon it's easy just to quit praying. And even though you believe in your head, well, no, I know. Like, I know. Let me just tell you, as I've read the Scripture, I don't see anything clearly in Scripture that would indicate that God isn't in the business of doing pretty cool stuff still today, things we would call miracles. But it's so easy to lose our heart to quit praying about things, to quit, quit trusting him, to quit living with any kind of ex expectancy that he's going to show up in our situation and in our lives. So I prepared for this message um, this week. I've read through a really cool book. I'm going to put it up here. It's called this, Miracles Today by Craig S. Keener. Now, here's what's cool about this book. Um, I've read a good share of it this week. I'm not done with it completely. So, um, And just know, if I put a book up, it doesn't mean I agree with everything the author says, okay? It's just I found this interesting and helpful. So some of you might want to read this because it's been so encouraging. Here's, here's what this guy did. Dr. Keener uh, is a professor. I think he's at Asbury, uh, actually, which is interesting now. Um, but he's a PhD, he's a professor, and he wrote about 10, 12 years ago what is known as the academic standard for academic works on the history of the miraculous throughout the ages. So he wrote an 1,100-page, two-volume academic work that goes back and surveys like the move of God, all the way back to Jesus and the apostles and, and surveys and says that and addresses some of the, the claims of naturalists and philosophers like David Hume, who said miracles can't happen because it violates the laws of nature and uh, all kinds of things. And then he goes and traces through church history and shows how this stuff never stopped happening. Like oh, the early, uh, in the like 200s, 300s, you got church fathers like Cyprian and Anna, Anna, 
Athanasius and Augustine who didn't believe this stuff was really still happening and then started investigating and go, wow, God is doing that and totally changed his tune. Some of the great people of the faith and then all the way up through modern day. And he's got 400 pages in this book, not this one. The reason why I like this book, it's a summary. You don't have to read all 1,100 pages, so I like that. Um, but it's a summary of the greater work. He's found a lot of people like critiquing his work, but they never read it because it's 1,100 pages. So he's like, I'll write a little shorter book. So at least hopefully you'll read it first. But he goes back, and many of these are like medically verified things and um, stories that you have no good reason to doubt. And he verifies and does his research, and it's really, really a cool cool book. But as I've read through this, it's been so encouraging. And what they found, there's been these, these research studies, what they found in one study in 2006 of just 10 nations showed that many more than 200 million Christians claim to have witnessed a divine healing. Think about that. 200 million, 10 nations around the world. Millions, millions over the, over the course as the gospel spread here recently, there's been millions of non-Christians around the world that have changed centuries of many of their ancestral beliefs, oftentimes in the midst of considerable persecution and social pressure, and they've become committed followers of Jesus, and they trace it to extraordinary miracles, something that God has done that's been very powerful. In fact, you see this, you see a lot of these things happening in like clusters where the gospel is going out for the first time. And he, and he documents this. So in nations like around the world where the gospel is, you know, coming to an unreached people and people are hearing the news about Jesus and, and God's doing clusters of these kinds of things and lots of people are coming to Jesus. In fact, in, in, in China, they found this statistic. In the, in the state-authorized church, you remember the church has exploded. Uh, the faith has exploded in China. Um, I don't know, last I heard, way more than 100 million followers of Jesus. Think about that, yeah. And it's exploded in China. And, and even in the state-authorized records, they attribute 50% of that to miraculous things that have happened, that, have, that people have seen and have come into faith. In fact, the estimates from the house church networks in China is closer to 90%, have witnessed something and seen the power of God actively on display, and it's brought them to, G, to Jesus. A professor at Biola University said this, that 70% of the rapid evangelical growth in the past few decades has been due to basically miraculous events. People seeing God move in power and then responding in faith to the message of the gospel that's being proclaimed. 70%. And I know sometimes we look at our culture and we see like, man, it's like the tide is turning, it seems like, and so many people are, are against faith and traditional values and all these things that, but around the world, the faith is spreading like wildfire, wildfire. I mean, it's amazing to see. One example that Dr. Keener gives in his book is in a country called Suriname. It's in South America, and there's this one people group that was very re resistant to the gospel coming in, and he quotes this guy named Dr. Douglas Norwood, who was an eyewitness and was there, and they brought this man in who was paralyzed on a whole side of his body. He was in his 70s, and he was just angry and hostile. And they brought him in. His friends and family carried him in on a blanket and plopped him down in this meeting. And they, like, wanted him to pray to Jesus. And it says, he, he literally is yelling out. He's mad. He's like, your religion is garbage, he shouted. 
Then he said, my religion is garbage too. I've prayed to Shiva and to Vishnu and to my other gods and nothing happens. Now you want me to pray to Jesus? And here's what Dr. Norwood said happened at that very moment. He said, as he uttered the name Jesus, his paralyzed arm suddenly shot up into the air. He stared at his own arm, shocked. And it says at that end, he, he, he went up and grabbed the mic and began screaming, look what Jesus did for me. And Dr. Norwood said that was the beginning of a movement that over the next few years brought tens of thousands of people to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I know as we hear about some of those stories, it's like, okay, I know, I like that's cool. And I hear stories from missions trips, and it's awesome. God's doing that cool stuff around the world. But this is a U.S., right? It's cool. This guy opens his book uh, with a cool story. You know, 34% of the, the population in the United States, more than 100 million people claim to have witnessed a divine healing, according to a 2008 Pew Forum study. Think about that, 100 million people. Now, Keener says, obviously, all those aren't genuine. We're not claiming, nobody's claiming that. He said, but let's just be really, like, skeptical and say 99% of those claims are completely bogus. We can find a good medical explanation for it. 99%. Just 1% we can't explain. That still is 100,000 events that were miracles. Or not 100,000, a million. I'm sorry, I can't do math. A million. Still a million cases, and this is just recent, like people alive today in our nation. Now, I think far more than that are, are genuine. You know, 50% of physicians that have been surveyed have, have seen things and experienced things they can only describe as miraculous, like no medical explanation, 50%. One story that this guy starts his book with that I think was so powerful happened in the U.S. was this gal named Barbara and you can watch this, actually. It's so cool because she, she's interviewed many years later, just this vibrant lady. And you just Google it. Um, Google on YouTube, Google The Case for Miracles by Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel is a famous guy that wrote apologetics books called The Case for Christ and, and The Case for Faith, um, well-known. And he interviews this lady. He just wrote a book a few years ago called The Case for Miracles. And this was one of them. He's like, he was an atheist and and God miraculously saved him, just like this guy Keener that wrote this book was an atheist, and God saved him. It was a really cool um, story. But he tells the story of Barbara, who is this, this young gal that uh, was in the late stages of a degenerate disease. Um, she was like, her hands were so curled that, that they would like curl up onto her wrists. She couldn't, she couldn't straighten them. Her feet were, she couldn't straighten her feet. She'd been in bed so long that her muscles had atrophied in, in her legs because she couldn't walk. She had a trach tube in, and whenever she'd get agitated, somebody would have to plug that, and then she could talk only when that was plugged. She was blind at this point because this had gone so far, and the doctors just sent her home to die. So we can't do anything more for you, and thought she probably just had weeks to live. And she's at home, and somebody in the midst of the circumstance um, called the local Christian radio station and said, please pray for Barbara, and they told the story. And um, they got people praying all over the area. In fact, they know that because they got 450 cards in the mail that at least 450 people were praying for her. And they were prayed, and they prayed. And on one of those mornings, uh, as she's close to death, laying there, she tells the story, and it's so cool as you, as you watch her testimony. She heard a booming voice behind her say, my child, rise up and walk. And she's like, what? <laughs> and so she gets all agitated, and her friend who's there with her comes over and plugs the hole in the trach tube, and she says, 
this is what I heard. And so her friend helps her get, get upright and then helps her get to the edge of the bed. And there, she's like, she's insistent she's going to do this. And she stands up and she looks down. And the first thing that shocked her is she can see her feet. And they're flat on the ground. She couldn't straighten them. They're flat on the ground. Her mom comes rushing in. And her calves that were completely emaciated um, are, are like the muscles back. And she, that was the first thing her mom noticed. She's like, you have calves. They're back. And, and like, she, she went to church later and told the, the story. Um, it was a couple weeks before she went back to the doctor. And the doctor's testimony is when she came walking through the door, he's like, oh, she died, and that's her ghost. Literally, that seemed more likely. That's the physician's testimony. This was a very well-medically-documented case. That the doctor's like, that's a miracle. That's a miracle. But it's amazing. And as I've had conversations, I've had so many conversations. It's been fun. 11 now because I've had multiple services. And after the services, people are coming up and telling me their stories. And I'm like, that's so cool. If you got a cool story, email it to me. I love collecting stories. That's why I tell everybody. I need, like, I need something I can remember. I love collecting stories from people I know firsthand of God's powerful action in their lives. And I know so many. But I remember uh, I, I called my friend because I heard this cool story. Josh, he sits right down here Saturday nights. And he's in the sheriff's department. And there was this one time that a call came out on the radio. There's an eight-month-old baby, and the baby was choking. And that's never good. A code three went out, and then the sheriff's department rushed down there. And he's on the other side of town, can't get there. But what he did is he calls his wife and says, just pray. Just pray. And so she starts praying fervently for this little child in this moment. And about 15 or 20 minutes go by. They started CPR immediately. Um, and the call came in. And uh, the sheriff's department was leaving, and the coroner was called in. And so he's just like, well, that's not, that's not good. He goes home, and his wife's like, well, what happened? What happened? And uh, he said, well, the baby died. You know? She said, are you sure? He's like, yeah. They called the coroner. Like, the baby died. The sheriff's department left. They didn't transport to the hospital. And he's trying to explain this to her. And he's like, are you sure? She keeps asking. Because as she's praying for this child, she just has a profound sense of peace over her. And shortly thereafter, the call went out on the radio that the baby is fine. The coroner was called off. And it's like, whoa. That's so cool. That's so cool. I have a friend, uh, Andrea, sits right out here. And, uh, and she, uh, uh, right after high school, she went down to Mexico on a mission strip. And she still tells a story of they're doing evangelism and stuff. And they, they had these people coming up. And there's this one lady that came up. She had really bad cataracts, like cloudy eyes. And she asked them to pray for her. So they prayed for her. And as they're done praying, she opened her eyes. And her eyes were totally clear. <laughs> it's like, whoa, that's so cool. And she always remember that experience. I've heard so many cool experiences of young people praying. Some of them like up at YWAM and... Um, I think there's something powerful when young people pray. They're not as jaded as we are, right? <laughs> and uh, uh, one of my other friends that's a pastor in town, he was telling me about this time. I met with him and had coffee this week, and he was telling me, man, I went down to Mexico on this missions trip, and there was these, our youth group was down there, and they had this little girl that was mute and deaf from birth. And uh, they brought her in, and they were praying. These kids were like, they prayed for an hour over this girl. They wouldn't give up. And finally, they, they quit. This, late, this girl came back the next day jumping for joy. 
she could hear and she could speak. And it totally blew him away. Totally blew him away. Now, he's had some other ones, and these are harder for me because we have situations like this happening right now in the church with people. Like a late-stage pancreatic cancer. And he was just like, they were like, okay, well, let's pray. But no faith, nothing happened. And then a month later, the person comes in. It's totally gone. Um, there was one, an older guy with really bad pain from scoliosis. This one's kind of hard for me because we prayed and prayed. Um, and uh, they prayed for him. I think he like, felt a sense of God's presence. But that night, in the middle of the night, his back just went pop. So loud it woke his wife up. <laughs> his spine came into alignment, and he didn't have any pain from that. After that, I knew about this guy. I'd totally forgotten. Or I knew this guy, but I'd totally forgotten that. So God is doing, like, things. My dad told me this story. And I remembered this one from being a kid because my dad used to tell me this. He had a friend that was, like, a principal or worked at a Christian school or something here in town, um, but used to be a pastor at a little Baptist church down in Arizona, and they were doing a, a building construction project in the little church. The pastor does everything. And so, like, he broke his arm really bad and went into the doctor, and the doctor couldn't, um, like, set it until Monday, but they splinted it up, and they took an x-ray, and it was a really bad break. And he told the elders, I don't think I'm going to be able to do anything for six to eight weeks. Um, I've got a bad arm break. And they're like, we need you to build this church building, so let's pray for you. <laughs> and he's like, okay, I guess. So... They prayed for him, and he went in Monday, and the doctor x-rays it to set it, and he's like, uh, there's no break. That's weird. And so he like, get another x-ray. So they get a second x-ray, and there's no break. He can't find any break, but he's like, well, just that was a really bad break. So just to be on the safe side, let's like wrap it and splint it. And so he's in church the next Sunday, leading songs, you know, doing the hymn thing, and one of the elders is like, what did the doctor say? Uh, well, he said he couldn't find a break. And why are you wearing that? And so he takes it off and later that afternoon helped the lady move a piano. <laughs> the guy almost got driven out of his denomination because he kept talking about healing. He was like, what? <laughs> but here's the thing. I guess I read some of these stories. I'm like, God, you're doing cool things. I'd heard that story. So I broke my ankle really bad a couple of years ago and had, to, had surgery scheduled. But let me tell you, I invited... My friend, one of our other pastors, to come pray for me first. So I'm like, who knows? I don't know. Didn't work. I had to get surgery. I still have lots of hardware. But I'm fine. Sometimes God answers in dramatic ways. Sometimes he uses doctors and medicine a lot of times, right? But the point is, he can and he's able. And so because of that, what are we called to do? How are we called to pray? Number one, we're called to pray with faith and confidence that he is good and he is able. See, that's, I think, the heart behind praying in faith. You see it in 11, Hebrews 11. It says, without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So trusting that he's there, that he's good, that he cares. That's a, trusting Jesus when he says your heavenly father know, knows you and loves you. He knows your requests even before you ask him, but yet he wants you to come to him in prayer. Why? Because well, that's the sovereign way he chose to set up the universe, that he works powerfully through the prayers of his people, that he involves us in the process. He could just do it all on his own, couldn't he? Think he needs us? But he chooses us as his image bearers on this earth 
to call out to him and then to be part of what he's doing in this world. He responds to prayer. That's why James says the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. It's not the power. When you hear there's power in prayer, there's power in God. Prayer moves the heart of God. Prayer is how God chooses to partner with us. Jesus, we see his heart is filled with compassion when he heals some people. It's not just, I mean, it brings him glory. Every time something like this happens, it's a testimony waiting to happen, right? I mean, if God's done something like that in your life, share it. Those are the things God uses to, to make, sometimes just intrigue other people. Really? I trust you. I don't think you're crazy. I mean, maybe a little bit, but I don't think you just straight up lie to me. That's amazing. God did that? Wow. Maybe I should pay attention. God uses those things. See, there's two, two mistakes we have when it comes to prayer and faith. One is, for, for many of you, because of something that happened in your life, you have lost praying in faith. You got hurt. You had a disappointment. And you're like, you, you rationalize it away. And basically, you just don't feel like you ever really engage in praying very often. I mean, you know, in a crisis, but who doesn't? But you've lost very much the expect expectancy that God is active in your life today. The other side of that is people that think that somehow prayer and faith is a magic formula. And if you can just work up enough faith and get the formula right and please God enough and ask hard enough, you can twist his arm to do exactly what you want him to do. That's not true. That's an error. It's not a magic. It's not magic. It's not tapping into some magic force. It's coming humbly before God who is alive and powerful and presenting our request to him. Right? And so how do you pray? You pray with hope and perseverance and expectation that he will move. That's the second. Jesus told a parable to his disciples to tell them how they should pray and, and not give up. Go read that one. Paul had three seasons where he persevered in prayer over some issue in his life. Some we think it's a, scholars think it's a physical thing. And he prayed and prayed and prayed. And he didn't give up until he got a clear word from the Lord. Actually, God clearly communicated to him, actually, Paul, I'm not going to heal you in this. Which brings us to the third thing, and that's this. We pray with humility that can accept a no or a not yet. So we pray with faith and confidence. I love, the, uh, I love the one guy that comes to Jesus. And Jesus asks him, do you believe I can do this? And his honest answer was, kind of. Because <laughs> I feel like that's where I am a lot. Literally, he said, I believe, help me with my unbelief. <laughs> like, I know you can do this, but I'm not going to stand here and pretend, whew, I'm all this, like, strong guy. And Jesus did heal his Son, I believe it was. <laughs> he moves that way. But we, we pray with humility because it's him who controls the outcome. You know, he calls us to pray, but he doesn't guarantee what the outcome will be. Sometimes the outcome is yes. Sometimes in a dramatic way. Sometimes over time, and you're just like, wow, I, I think God answered that prayer. That's cool. You, you just realize it a month later. Sometimes it's not yet. And you keep persevering and praying over something. Maybe it's somebody in your life that hasn't met Jesus or is far away from him and it's breaking your heart. You just keep persevering, coming to him, 
trusting him. The outcome is not in your control. The faithfulness comes in actually praying with faith because that's what God calls us to do. Here's how I want to end. I'm going to show you a little interview. Now, Winston, our worship pastor, is um, not here this morning, and so we recorded this last night live. Check this out, and I'll come back up and I'll close. Everybody say, hi, Winston. Hello. So when you were 17, you got just thrown into sort of a youth pastor position, not knowing what you were doing, right? Very true. Yep. So tell me a little bit about your experience and seeing God move in some of these kinds of areas. And Sure. Well, I had this uh, pastor in Grand Junction who had a, a bad ankle, and he invited me over to his house to pray for him. <laughs> And absolutely nothing happened, and he didn't fire me, so I, uh, <laughs> no, I, uh, yeah, I, so I grew up, uh, I, uh, you know, a Christian, and, um, and uh, got involved with, with some friends who, um, like, were probably more on the, like, charismatic side, and, you know, um, and, and I loved them to death, and I, I believe that they were really, very genuine, but um, I think a lot of the times it felt like they were just trying to convince themselves that they were hearing from God, or it's like, you're healed, aren't you? It's like, uh, no, I mean, but the social pressure, I can't say no, you know? Um, and, uh, and so it just, it put in my heart just this thing where I'm like, no, I, I believe that God can do this stuff. Um, but what I'm experiencing isn't, feels kind of fake or, or worked up or something. And so, um, kind of a, a long story short, basically it fueled me to like want to hear the voice of God and want to kind of, you know, carve my own path and understanding kind of miracles and stuff like that. And so, um, a friend of mine, fast forward a little bit, a little, like a friend of mine, uh, we're, we're, um, we're at a park cause we want to pray for people. And our line was, hi, we're practicing how to pray for people. Can we pray for you? <laughs> and, uh, the amount of people in the world who want world peace and just dismiss you is <laughs> a lot. Um, and so, so, but regardless, we kept praying and uh, there was this one guy uh, who we saw had like a, like a cast on his leg. We're like, great, that's the guy we're going to go for. <laughs> and so we go over to this guy and uh, we pray a few times and just nothing happens. And, uh, but the cool thing is he ends up giving his life to Jesus, right? Uh, because he was impressed that we would even try. And so his girl, he actually got his girlfriend to go that weekend to our church and started uh, going to our church, yeah. See, that's what you see in Scripture is the point isn't somebody getting healed. You realize Lazarus had to die again. He got raised from the dead. It'll die again. People meet Jesus. Yeah. People meet Jesus and spend eternity with him, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 Cool. Don't stop. You want another one? Uh, so so that same, oh, it might have been the same day or day after. Uh, we were sitting down taking a break from all the praying, you know, um, and so, so uh, my friend and I were sitting down, and these two ladies approach us, uh, come to find out they were a, a, a mother and daughter, uh, the mother was like in her maybe 70s or something, and her daughter was like 40s, uh, and they, they call out to us and said, do, do either of you have a truck, and I'm like, yeah, I have a truck, she goes, well, I dropped my keys in the water, and I'm like, do you want me to drive my truck into the water to grab your keys? I don't understand. She goes, oh, I don't know. Come see. And so I follow her. There's a little bridge and just some shallow water, and I see the keys, and I'm like, oh, okay. I will jump into this water and grab your keys if you let me pray for you. And she goes, okay. And her daughter's like, uh, no. I'm like, oh, I'll take what I can get. So I jump in, grab the keys, come back out, and uh, stand in there, and she starts to tell me how she has a fibromyalgia, and uh, it's been like seven years, like 
before, like she is, and I guess it just affected her like chest and breathing. And uh, she said, it's been about seven years that she's had this pain. And I said, okay, well, we're just, would you mind if we pray? She goes, yeah, sure. And so I just laid my hand on her shoulder, a very simple prayer. Uh, Jesus, thank you for your healing power. In Jesus' name, all pain go. And when I said all pain go, I don't know how to describe this, and I get that it's weird. It was like power pulsed through her, something like her body like did a thing. And I'm like, eh. Uh, <laughs> and then I said, so how's the pain? And this lady opens her eyes and like these crocodile tears come out. And she says, that was the first time in seven years I've been able to take a breath without pain. And then her daughter, who didn't want prayer before, goes, I have tennis elbow. <laughs> okay. And so again, same thing. We prayed literally the same prayer. And uh, I said, how's the pain? She goes, well, it's, it's numb. And I'm like, well, what does numb mean? She goes, the pain's gone. I'm like, awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You went to Starbucks one time, right? And that ended up... Oh, yeah. I told my dad about, like, all these healings and stuff. He, like, became my biggest cheerleader, and he doesn't, ha he doesn't understand social cues and things like that, so he's very uh, embarrassing sometimes, as dads are supposed to be. And so we go to Starbucks, and I'm sitting outside. It's, like, evening time, and I'm like, man, it has taken him a while to get our coffee. And so he comes out, and he goes, hi. <laughs> hey, there's somebody in there with cancer. I'm like, oh, 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 what do you want me to do about that? He goes, like, go pray for him. And then so he goes inside and I'll follow him. I'm like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And so we get to this guy and he interrupts their pleasant conversation that they're having. He goes, excuse me, I heard, <laughs> I was listening to your conversation and my boy here has been praying and people are being healed. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> And so immediately, these guys were just not having it. You could tell we were completely unwelcome. And I'm, I'm just like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It's my dad, I can't say no. Um, and so they like stand up and, uh, and he's like, yes, <laughs> I have cancer. Uh, it's like there's like a tumor under his arm. And I said, okay, well, can we pray? He goes, okay. <laughs> and so... Same thing, Jesus, thank you for healing power. In the name of Jesus, all pain go. And I'm like, how's the pain? He goes, huh, well, the pain's gone. I'm like, was the tumor there? He goes, well, I can't find it right now, but I gotta go. <laughs> yeah. And you had another lady that you prayed for at Starbucks that ended up... Yeah, Starbucks. I, I went to Starbucks a lot. Um, uh, There's a, a friend of ours. She actually worked there. Don't let anybody give you a hard time about going to Starbucks all the time because you make good relationships with people, okay? Um, so one of the workers, she walked in. I noticed she had like a knee brace on. I'm like, hey, Tawny, can I pray for your knee? She goes, what? I'm like, can I? She goes, I guess. And so we prayed, and, uh, and the pain... Uh, I don't remember all the details of the prayer. Maybe played once or twice, I don't remember. But I remember the pain going away significantly enough that she took, take, takes her brace off. And then I'm like, all right, bye, see ya. And then uh, probably a week or two later, she shows up to our church and she says this, like, you praying for my knee got me here, back into church. I've given my life to Jesus. And, and she is still in church today, has her kids in church, like her whole family. So it's cool. Yeah.
Thank you, Winston. Welcome. Right, Sorry about your ankle. <laughs> <laughs> All right. How do we pray? With faith and confidence that he's good and able, with hope and perseverance and expectation that he'll move, with humility that can accept a no or a not yet. The outcome is in his control. And here's what I know. Lots of people, lots of lots of people come to know Jesus simply from the proclamation of the gospel. The guy that wrote that miracle book, simply from the proclamation of the gospel. But if God should choose to give you a story or a testimony like one of these, I trust he will use it to draw people to him. And so we have a value around here, biblically serious, responsive to the Holy Spirit. If you've been coming any length of time, you know we are serious about teaching the scriptures, digging in, context, all of that. We also want to be a people who are very responsive to the Holy Spirit. And here's, here's what I'd like to see in your life. As God brings opportunities into your week and into your day, maybe you don't ignore those anymore. Maybe you respond. As you have a situation, maybe you actually pray with someone right there. It might feel awkward, but you know what? I checked. Awkward doesn't hurt anybody. Doesn't kill you. Really, trust me. Maybe, maybe you actually pray fervently about a situation and, and expect, God, would you show up and move in this, please? Sometimes he will. We don't control the outcome. But he calls us to be faithful in prayer. And in speaking up, maybe that's just opening your mouth in that moment where you know he gives you the opportunity to talk about Jesus. And normally you're, you feel shy. Responsive is, okay, I'm going to go for it. I want to share Jesus. Would you stand? As we close, first I want to make one observation, okay? In Acts 3, this guy at the temple gates, it says that's the place where his family took him all the time. Here's what I think that means. He probably sat there as Jesus walked right by him more than once. Think about that. The miracle worker walked by him more than once. I don't know if he... If, if he was disappointed from that. But to me, that's striking because I know some of you have prayed about things that just aren't happening. Could it be that Jesus walked by this guy because <laughs> he had a purpose and a plan, and he's like, this is going to be really cool for Peter and John and the spread of the gospel. Could there be someone in your life that maybe God hasn't already stepped in and moved directly in their situation because he wants to use you as part of the process? I would encourage you, respond to him. Respond to him. Maybe it'll be a dramatic thing. Maybe it'll be a simple thing of just someone feeling a sense of peace in the presence of God. But respond to him. Pray for others in your life. Do what he's telling you to do.